What's up, everyone? Good morning and welcome to our Water's Edge Sunday morning online worship experience. Once again, thank you so much for hanging out with us today. Thank you so much for tuning in. For those of you that continue to share these links with people, your friends and family, thank you so much for doing that. We have people from all over tuning in. For those of you that continue to be generous and give online and give to the Water's Edge, thank you so much for doing that. We just had our food pantry this past week. It was a massive success. Thank you so much. Today we continue with part two of our holiday series, our Christmas series entitled Light It Up. And like I told you last week, today and over the next few weeks, I don't really want to talk to you as a pastor. I don't want to talk to you as a preacher or a teacher or some sort of professional holy man or Captain Vacation Bible School. But today and over the next few weeks, I simply just want to talk to you as a brother and as a friend. Because in this series, I want to talk to you about real life and emotions and feelings and battles and struggles and victories. You know, sometimes, sometimes when you come to church, sometimes it's very beneficial to feel like you're not actually in a church. And this is what I mean. Most of the time, you just need people to love you. Sometimes you just need to be around people that you feel like are family. Sometimes you just need to be around people that love God and you know love you. Sometimes when you come to church, it feels like you're always being judged and you can't be open and honest about your struggles. And so the reason why I told you at the beginning that I don't want to really talk to you as a preacher or a pastor, just a brother and a friend, is because today as we enter the holiday season, I want you to feel like you're among family, people who love you people that you can be honest with, people that you can be vulnerable with, people that you can open up your heart with so we can open up our hearts to God. Because right now, people who are listening, right now we have people whose Christmases and holidays are gonna be filled with happiness and joy and pictures and laughter and good times and family and friends. For some of us, this is what our holidays are gonna be filled with. But for some of you that are listening right now, this season that you're about to go through is just gonna be filled with loneliness and sadness, and discouragement, and stress, and heartache. For some people, this time of the year feels peaceful and fun, but for other people, this time of the year feels heavy and exhausting and sometimes lonely. And so sometimes it's good to come to a church and be able to process all of that in real life instead of in a religious way. Sometimes it's good to come to church and process what we're going through in a safe space instead of a space that makes you feel judged and imperfect simply because you have a struggle. Now, when Jesus was born, you have to understand that the world was filled with darkness, heartache, hurt, suffering, and violence. The oppressive Roman Empire ruled the world. The Jewish religious leaders were extremely corrupt. The common everyday Jewish person had to struggle just to live because they were under oppression, struggle just to survive. And in the center of all this, all of this bad news, Jesus shows up and hope starts to shine through and peace starts to shine through and forgiveness and grace and compassion and purpose and significance and second chances and new life begin to shine through and glimmer and stand out. So welcome to week two of Light It Up. Now, right now, our world and our news and our media and our social media is filled with negative news. But not only that, you and I hear stories of adversity and heartache and pain all the time that touch our personal lives and people's lives that we know and love. Several years ago, when I was a youth pastor and then I became the pastor at First Baptist Church in Starks, Louisiana, had a wonderful time there. But every single Christmas season, we would put on something called the Streets of Bethlehem. 
And this is what we would do. We would transform our gymnasium into the literal streets of Bethlehem the night Jesus was born. And then you could come during the Christmas season and you could take a tour through the streets of Bethlehem. And each stop you would stop at would be a different shop, a different place to eat, different people to talk to. And they're all telling you about how they have heard about how a king is born until it leads you to the last part of the play, which was my part. And I was the excited shepherd and I would come busting through the door as a crowd was watching. And I would tell everyone that the savior has been born tonight. And it was really, really fun. And we had adults in that called the Streets of Bethlehem. We had youth and our students that were uh, playing in the, this play called the Streets of Bethlehem. And I remember one night as we were wrapping up, right before Christmas was about to happen, one of our youth and one of her older cousins came to talk to me and they sat me down. And this is what they told me. It was three days before Christmas and she was telling me her story. She said that her dad had gotten drunk two nights before and told her and her mom that he had been seeing another lady and that he did not want to live with them anymore. The mom had been suffering with lung cancer for a long time, and she was under hospice care. And so while she was confined to her bed in her bedroom, her husband was running around with someone else and left this young girl who was only in eighth grade to take care of her mom. She got emotional when she was telling me all of this. Her older cousin spoke up and said, my family's trying to help her out as much as we possibly can, but they have nothing for Christmas. She has nothing for Christmas. Can the church do anything for her? She's struggling. Her dad leaves her, leaves her mom. Her mom's dying of lung cancer. She's all alone taking care of her mom. The rest of her family's poor. They're struggling too. They're hurting in life. They can't help her. She has no help. And they just sat me down and said, will you please pray for her? My heart broke for the student and her real life adversity. I think today that the world that we live in, it's very easy for us to see and hear about all the bad news and all the negative news and all the heartache and pain and all the bad stories around us. And it affects us. It hurts our heart. It can break our heart. And it can also cause us to forget and overlook some of the amazing things that God can be doing in our lives and all around us, in our communities, and in our churches. And in this series, I just want to remind you that even though sometimes you and I are filled with heartache and hurt and pain, if we'll open up our eyes, God is still speaking and God is still working and God is still moving. And also, the work that God is still doing is something that you and I can be a part of, and it's in the center of darkness going on all around us. And so in this series, I just want to remind you that when you're touched with negativity, look for the positive. When you're touched with pain, look for the joy. When you're touched with the gray cloud, look for the silver lining. But also in this series, I want to remind you, and we even see this in the Christmas story, that when you and I are faced with disappointment, negativity, heartache, pain, suffering, adversity, sometimes you and I just have to rise up and ask this question, who will I decide to be? Who am I going to become in this life? Who am I going to rise up to claim for myself? Will I be defeated or determined? Someone who quits or someone who strives? Someone who runs away or someone who focuses their heart like Mary did last week to survive. And speaking of good news and speaking of God at work, let me tell you the rest of that young lady's story. We had a strong women's prayer group in our church at that time. So after I had met with her and they told me this awful story about her dad being a drunk and leaving her and her mom and her mom dying of lung cancer, it was Christmas time, they didn't have anything. I told this women's prayer group about what was going on. And the day after Christmas, this is what they did. They took her shopping and they loaded her down. They bought her new shoes, clothes, jewelry, Christmas gifts. They just showered her with love. By the way, if you have the means, you can do that too for anyone that you know that's hurting. She actually moved in with her cousins. She graduated from high school. She went to Louisiana Tech. She graduated. She moved to Monroe. She became a dentist, and she's living a very successful life right now, coming from an awful, 
awful story. Love always finds a way to shine and glimmer through the darkness. And of course, we see the same thing happening in the Christmas story. People's lives were difficult, full of adversity, and then Jesus is born and hope starts to shine and glimmer through. But honestly, if we look deep enough, we can see this in almost every single part of the Christmas story, even the so-called boring parts that most of us would just read over and skip right on over. For instance, the Gospel of Matthew starts off telling us about the birth of Jesus by giving us a long list of his family tree, a long list of his lineage, and the names that are left out of his family tree on purpose, very interesting, and the names in the Gospel of Matthew that are included in the family tree of Jesus are very interesting. And this is what's so interesting and amazing about the Scripture and why we should make the Scripture and the narrative of the Scripture a part of our life. Whether you're a longtime believer or whether you're a new believer or whether you have a lot of doubts and you're not sure if you want to believe or you're not sure if you want to believe anymore, you can find the most amazing and inspirational messages in the Scripture. And so today, I want us to look at probably the most boring part of the Christmas story in the Bible. But in this so-called boring part, and let me tell you something, if you're still with me, say I'm still with you. What I'm gonna share with you this morning may be the most important Christmas message, message that I've ever shared, that we could ever share from the scripture. I think this will hit you in your heart. I think this will be very personal to you. But even in the most boring parts of the scripture, if we look deep enough, and if we search for God deep enough, we can find the most inspirational and encouraging and amazing messages for our life and for our heart. And so we pick up today in the first letter of the New Testament, the Gospel of Matthew, starting in verse 1 as we go through verse 6. This is the record of the ancestors of Jesus the Messiah, a descendant of David and of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron was the father of Ram. Ram was the father of Amminadab. Amminadab was the father of Nashon. Nashon was the father of Salmon. Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz was the father of Abed, whose mother was Ruth. Abed was the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon whose mother was Bathsheba, the widow of Uriah. Now in verses 7 through 15, we're not going to read. The list just goes on and on with the generations and the names of Jesus' family tree. And we don't have time to go through all of them. And to be honest with you, I don't know how to pronounce a lot of them. But then it ends like this in chapter 1 of Matthew, verse 16. Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. Mary gave birth to Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Now, let me tell you why this is so interesting and inspiring to all of us. To most of us, if we're honest, when we're reading the Bible, we just kind of skip over this part. I mean, why read it? Why just read a list of names on a family tree? Because honestly, this just seems like mostly just history. There doesn't seem to be anything very spiritual in these chapters. It doesn't seem to be anything very inspirational in this chapter about the family tree of Jesus. It just seems like it's just a bit of information and just a bit of history. But if we look a little bit deeper, it really has the most amazing message that has really encouraged my heart. It's the most inspirational thing sometimes that we can find in the Christmas story. And this is what we mean. If you're still with me, Sam, I'm still with you. When Matthew writes about the family bloodline of Jesus, he intentionally includes people who were far, far away from God and perfect and holy. And he intentionally leaves other people out 
who were known to be godly and good and righteous. For instance, and notice this today, Matthew does not mention Sarah, Rebecca, and Rachel. And these three were considered righteous and holy and godly. Matthew leaves them out. But notice who is mentioned, and notice this today. You're still with me, I'm still with you. Tamar in verse 3, Rahab in verse 5, Ruth in verse 5, Bathsheba in verse 6, Abraham and Jacob in verse 2, and David in verse 6. Now, let me tell you a little bit about this motley crew, man. Let me tell you a little bit about these about these people that were included in the bloodline of Jesus that had deep, deep brokenness in their life. Abraham unfairly isolated and banished and rejected his very own son Ishmael and his mother Hagar. Jacob schemed and lied so he could steal his older brother's birthright and inheritance. David committed adultery and then he committed murder to cover it up because he got someone else's wife pregnant. Tamar was a Canaanite woman outside of the Jewish faith who seduced her father-in-law because she wanted to have children. Rahab was a non-Jewish Canaanite who was also a prostitute. Ruth was a Moabite woman who was an outsider to the Jewish religion and the Jewish faith, and they considered them to be unholy. Bathsheba committed adultery with David, and then she schemes with one of her other sons to take over the throne of David. And all of these people had some part of their life that was regretful, full of guilt, full of shame, some part of their life that they wished they could press rewind and have a do-over, some part of their life that they were completely wanting to erase. It caused so much guilt in their life, brokenness. And these are some of the people that Matthew wanted us to know were in the family bloodline of Jesus. But the question is, why? Why would Matthew intentionally leave out some very holy people in the bloodline of Jesus and his family tree and intentionally include some people that seem to be on the outside very far away from holy and perfect in the bloodline of Jesus? Well, there's a few important reasons. The first one is this. If you're still with me, Sam, I'm still with you. To help us see that the family that gave us Jesus was built upon not only the talented, holy, and the great, but also the poor, the overlooked, and the imperfect. In the family line of Jesus, we see the famous and the forgotten. We see the popular and the poor. We see the righteous and the imperfect to let us know that in the story of Jesus Christ, there's room for all of us, no matter what. Let me say that again. The reason why is to let us know that in the story of Jesus Christ, there is room for all of us, even those people that have a past, even those people that have regrets, even those people that have brokenness, even those people that wish they could press the rewind button and do this over and erase this from their life, even those people Jesus can use in a massive way and everyone has a place in the story of Jesus Christ. The second reason is this, to let us know that even when our life is marked with weakness and failure, God still has a plan for our life and he will never give up on us. The next time you feel like your life is too broken and weak and messed up to belong to God or to be used by God, or to make a difference in this world. Also remember, always remember this, that the very family members of Jesus himself that Matthew picked to put in the bloodline to let us know that these people were in the bloodline of Jesus Christ, they all felt the same way. They all felt too guilty for God. They all felt like they were too much of a failure for God. They all felt like they were too broken and too stained to, and to be used by God. And so the reason why this was included in the story of Jesus was to let us know that there is room for everyone. You don't have to match anyone's criteria. You don't have to meet a certain rule set. There is room for everyone at the master's table, Jesus. The third thing is this, to help us understand that disappointment in life either produces defeat 
or determination. These imperfect, everyday, broken, messed up real life people like Abraham, David, Tamar, Rahab, and Bathsheba, and the very family and bloodline of Jesus Christ that God used to bring Jesus into this world, they face disappointment after disappointment after disappointment. But instead of caving, instead of quitting, Instead of giving up, it produced more of a determination in their heart to leave the rubble behind and to leave the ashes behind and to leave the past behind. No matter what people thought about them or said about them, no matter what people were saying about their reputation, and they would rise up with determination and they would start over so they could serve God and make a difference in this world. And what disappointments have you faced in life recently? Will you let them sink you in fear and defeat? Or will you let them produce a determination in you that causes you to stand up and fight? In this life, we face the disappointments of failures in our job. But can you survive it? God thinks you can. In this life, we face the disappointments of failure in our families, failure in our relationships, failure in our finances, failure in our health, failure in our faith. But can you survive it? God thinks you can. We face failures in our walk with God, failures in our responsibilities, failures in controlling our emotions and our thoughts and our impulses and our desires. But can you survive it? God thinks you can. In this life, we face the disappointments of rejection, loss, and pain. But can you survive it? God thinks you can. In this life, we face the disappointments of depression and tragedy and heartache and weakness, but can you survive it? God thinks you can. In this life, we face the disappointments of sickness and betrayal and pain and exhaustion, but can you survive it? God thinks you can. God help Abraham survive it through grace and determination. Why can't you? God help Jacob and David survive it with grace and determination. Why can't you? God help Tamar and Rahab and Ruth and David and Bathsheba survive it. Why can't you? Why can't you? When the disappointments of life fill your heart with fear and uncertainty and regret, we can either let it defeat us or we can rise up and be determined to survive it. Because the truth is this, sometimes life is so challenging that sometimes you and I are tempted to think that this is the end. I don't know how I'm going to recover from this. I don't know how I'm going to bounce back from this. I don't know how I'm going to survive or overcome this. This is too much. It's devastating. This divorce, this failure, this storm has crushed me. This heartache, this pain, this betrayal has crushed me. This sin, this temptation, this regret, this disappointment has crushed me. And in that time, you and I have two choices. Two choices. Number one, you can either lay down in fear sadness and defeat or you can make up your mind in that moment to fight again and believe again and pray again and love again and trust again and try again and work again and serve again and live again and Jesus will always be there to help us pick up the pieces. Having a grace-filled relationship with Jesus and being used by God to touch the hearts of people is not just for the ultra-talented. It's not just for the ultra-religious, the ultra-churchy, the ultra-holy, the ultra-good, the ultra-righteous. No, 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 no. The story of Jesus and the Christmas story makes it very clear, and it continues to be written by people. The story of Jesus and the Christmas message makes it very clear. It was written and it continues to be written by people who are everyday people, real people, broken people, messed up people, normal people, stained people with a past just like me and just like you. In the story of Jesus, there is room for all of us, no matter what. So as we enter into the Christmas season and we focus on the birth of Jesus, I also want to remind you of the bloodline of Jesus, the very family that brought the Savior of the world 
into the universe. This bloodline wasn't perfect, wasn't completely holy, wasn't always religious, wasn't always moral, wasn't always right, wasn't always good. In the family bloodline of Jesus, there were mistakes, there were failures, there were sins, there were lies, there were deceivers, and God would use these people after he would pick them up to go change the world. Why can't that happen to you? I think it can. At the table of Jesus, at the master's table this Christmas, I want to remind you and everyone around you that may be hurting that there is room for everyone. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today. Thank you so much for tuning in. We love you. Have a great holiday season. We can't wait to see you back next week.